Welcome to the Mom Worthy Podcast. This is Brittany. This is Sam. This is Cassie. Grab your coffee or your wine and come hang out with us. As Dr. Brown joins us in the studio and answers all of your cosmetic surgery questions. Well, hello guys. This is Sam from the Mom Worthy Instagram page and the podcast. Um, today we have Dr. Richard Brown here with us. You go by Richie? I go by Ricky. Ricky, Ricky. Um, so he is here to talk about plastic surgery and in particular mom plastic surgery. <laughs> Can you introduce yourself for our followers that don't know who you yeah, are? Absolutely. So my name is Ricky Brown. Yes, it is Ricky. People are always okay. like, do you go by Richard or do you really go by Ricky? I'm like, I really go by Ricky. That's my name. So uh, I grew up in, in Georgia and uh, I'm a plastic surgeon here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've been out here since 2009. Um, been in practice for 10 years now and my practice focuses on, I do breast reconstruction work um, and then a lot of breast and body cosmetic surgery as well. What made you want to do what you do? That's a long story. <laughs> That's a I was really about long this too, story. Though. Like, I was like, what makes someone want to do yeah. surgery? Because I can't imagine cliff notes. doing that. <laughs> so the cliff notes are the following. Um, we may get into my childhood a little bit. Okay. okay. Oh, it goes way back. Goes, <laughs> I was four years old. It goes way back. Well, the, it goes way back, meaning that I was definitely not the guy who knew that he wanted to be a doctor. Okay. In fact, quite the opposite. I don't talk about this in the book, but... I was the special ed kid. I was in special ed classes. I did not do well in school. I really struggled with reading comprehension. And so I think I kind of grew up not hugely having confidence that I was really going to be anything. Fast forward the cliff notes. So I end up up going to college, um, transferred from Syracuse to the University of Georgia, uh, and then when I was at Georgia, I just kind of was like, what am I going to do? And I was a mediocre student. So I started, I was pre-business. I was like, I'll just go into my parents' business. They had a business selling computer systems to medical practices, ironically. Mm. So as I was doing the business stuff, I was like, this is so boring. Like yeah. supply and demand curves and I can't see myself doing it. I've always been a science-minded person. So I basically decided to start taking some chemistry classes and I was getting A's and not really having to work that hard to do mm. it. It was stuff that mm. just came natural to me. So decided to go to med school, spring forward again, end up um, going to med school in Chicago. And before I did that, I volunteered for a year at a hospital in an operating room, just cleaning ORs, mopping up floors, wiping tables. Got my interest in in surgery that way Mm -hmm. because it just grabbed me. Mm -hmm. So going into med school in Chicago, I had this preconceived notion that I knew I was going to like something surgical. Mm -hmm. And so as I did that, I ended up going into general surgery. And then part of the way through my general surgery training, I was in a very trauma-heavy knife and gun gun club place in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So there were a, a lot of need for plastic and reconstructive stuff for abdominal wounds and stuff like that from trauma patients. So I started to slowly like see what plastic surgery was and what it could do reconstructively for people. So I jumped in the lab at Northwestern, did research for a year with the chairman of plastic surgery there, decided plastics was what I wanted to do, and the rest is history. Interesting. You love it. Love it. I can tell. I feel like you can just tell watching your page and stuff and seeing you talk about it. People ask you questions. You get excited to answer. I love it. It's great. I feel like I'm an educator. I'm a... I've had a big transition in my personal Mm -hmm. development in the past year or so. And what we talked about, the reason I brought up my childhood thing was even that all that I've done, I don't think until last year from listening to certain podcasts and changing my mindset, did I actually believe that I was different and special 
and had something to offer people yeah. that a lot of other surgeons don't. And so now I know that in my practice, we offer something that's very special. We're truly authentic and I do love what I do. And I really, it's not about the money. We all need to make money and live. I, I like helping people You're and I like educating. Yeah. Right? yeah, that's awesome. So we asked our followers to submit questions for you. Yes. And oh my gosh, <laughs> we had so many. We had so pages many. and pages. Like, and even DMs like this was in the question Cassie box. was just rolling through, like yeah. literally her, her fingers. Tons of them. Tons of questions. So we're going to go through a few of them with you. Um, There's lots of questions about surgery and having kids. One of the main questions I saw was, should I wait till I'm done having kids for all different types of surgery, even like mm-hmm. rhinoplasty and um, you know breast lift, tummy tuck, etc. So what's your answer to that? Yeah, this is a pretty simple one. Um, yes, they should wait. Okay. Um, the time that I tell people, and I'll tell you why. The only time that I would tell someone like for breast augmentation to go ahead and have it is when I see really young patients who aren't looking to start a family in the near future, like 10 years or so out, and they really have either there's a reason body image wise where they want to have larger breasts whatever their reason is mm-hmm. i'll tell them look if you're not having kids for 10 or 12 years like why would you wait 10 years yeah. to enjoy what it is you're looking yeah. for and to get the confidence you need right. go for it if you're if you think you're having children soon and you know that there's a procedure that you want to do it's always best to wait because one the breast skin quality changes with pregnancy, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the skin quality changes, um, have the fullness that you have, the volume of your breast. With the tummy, the kids stretch your tummy and we get that what we call diastasis where the muscles separate. Mm-hmm. All that occurs with pregnancy. And so to me, if you want the best result possible, you should wait until after you're done having kids. Okay. No doubt. Could it affect milk supply? So if somebody does get a breast enhancement, I guess, or reduction mm-hmm. before kids, could that affect their ability to breastfeed in the future? It depends on the procedure. So okay. for a breast augmentation, implants can be placed above the muscle, which is directly behind the breast gland where the milk ducts are and all that, or under the muscle, which is the prevailing way that we most of us do it. If you have the implant placed behind the muscle, there really should be no effect on, on milk ducts production okay. of, of milk. Um, if you have it placed above the gland, absolutely. So for breast augmentation, it's really not a big deal because the implant's usually going behind the muscle. Where it does make a huge difference is if you're having something like a breast lift or a breast reduction, where we have to actually remove skin, we make an incision around the nipple on the areola complex, and when we do that, we can interrupt the milk ducts in doing that procedure. And so I do, I do try to educate my patients that, hey, look, if you think you're going to be breastfeeding sometime, you may have to supplement or you may not be okay. able to breastfeed. Yeah. Hmm. Good to know. So another person asked, is a tummy tech the best option for someone who's had C-sections? And they also asked, mini or full, and what's recovery time? Okay. So three things. Um, Tummy tuck is a great procedure. It has nothing to do with whether you've had a C-section or not. Okay. Um, a tummy tuck, because when you have a C-section and we do a tummy tuck, we actually make the tummy tuck scar below the old C-section scar and we remove the C-section scar with the procedure. Hmm, interesting. Um, so that answers that question. So the, the discussion, the other one was between a mini versus a full, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so mini versus full and, and who is I a candidate know what that for is. that? Yeah, I'll tell you. So um, a mini tummy tuck, Tummy tuck in general, what do we do with a tummy tuck? It's designed to A, remove a bunch of excess skin, and B, we talked a little bit briefly in the beginning about the diastasis or the separation of the Mm -hmm. muscles. So we literally will elevate the skin from the muscles, we suture the muscles together in the midline, 
We take, we put this, we we put the skin back down. If you've watched my Instagram, you've seen this. Um, and we take the extra skin off. Okay, so a mini versus a full. What's if you watched my Instagram, uh, on those ones, I'm always like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I can't, I can't. Are, a lot of women will DM me and they're like, okay, fingers across the eyes, sort of. Skin. Yeah. I love watching your videos, but I hate your videos. Yeah. I can't stop watching. I get squeamish watching mm-hmm. things like when that. When I see like. Lift the boom part. I mean, like tuck it under. Like, oh, that's great. I want that done, but ouch. So, um, a mini, a mini versus a full. Here's the difference. A full tummy tuck is treating women who've got skin above they don't like, the sort of hanging over the belly button, and excess skin below, and maybe even the muscles. Okay. In that case, you have to redrape the entire abdominal skin in order to pull all that tight. To, to do that, you need a full tummy tuck. Okay. So that means an incision that's usually hip to hip. We elevate up to the rib cage and we redrape all of that. For a mini tummy tuck, those are for patients who are really only have a, what they don't like is below the belly button. Okay. They don't they have okay. a little extra skin below the belly button. Mm-hmm. They don't like it. And the difference between the two, like in a mini, is we make a limited incision, so maybe a little bit longer than a C-section scar. We only elevate skin right up to the belly button because we're not worried about anything above. They're happy with the way it looks. They're nice and tight. No skin hanging over the belly button. They just have that lower kind of poochy skin they don't like and some loose muscle. So we'll tighten up the muscles below the belly button, take a little bit of skin off and cut that off. So that's what a mini tummy tuck is. You know what something cool I've seen you do is when you like you almost like remove someone's tattoo before, didn't you? Oh yeah, that oh yeah. Was, was, really did you, cool. I think you commented on that, like the guns. Did you see the ones? I don't that were, remember. It might have been that. There was a girl that had two revolvers on her lower yeah. abdomen, and when I took off her tummy tuck flap, both of those were there. So I mean, it was just part of it. Tattoo removal with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is a double in one? That I know people really were commenting cool. like, "Wow, that's a great tattoo removal." Seriously, <laughs> how easy. And you got it, right? Yeah, so cool. That's like. Kind of a great idea, actually. Uh, it, it totally <laughs> happens. Both it's Why funny not? too because some people are like, "I'm totally cool with you taking that." I've been wanting it gone, and some are like, "Oh no." Oh no! Yeah, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, that's you can always go. Yeah, get it fresh. I cut you off. Sorry. No, you're good. I'm curious. What's the recovery time for the? Oh yeah, so that was the last part of that. That's what I'm most interested in. Yes. I mean, these sound like great. A lot of people ask recovery time. Yeah. So it varies for the operation. Um, for something like a tummy tuck, it's a, it's a little bit more rigorous recovery. I'm going to give you a general comment that I tell anyone who's having surgery. For anyone who's having any procedure done, we generally tell them it's six weeks of no heavy lifting or strenuous exercise, which is tough for your population because you have babies and you want to hold your babies and they yeah. need you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason for that, though, is incisions don't regain their surgical strength for six weeks. So if you're doing stuff to stress them, you can tear them open. Now, as far as working out goes, I'll tell patients at about a month, I'll let you start doing some cardio. And depending on the surgery, so if you had just breast surgery, I'll let you do squats. I'll let you I'll let you start to get your heart rate up and do things that aren't upper body focused. But with a tummy tuck, it's longer because the abdomen hurt. You know, it's yeah, sore when mm-hmm. you do the procedure, so you can't do a lot. But the early recovery for most people, I will say, is six weeks. Now, that doesn't mean that you're sidelined and you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. It just means that for the first six, first six weeks, you're really, really taking it easy. It was like having a baby again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, there's we could talk later about it, but there's recovery from six weeks moving forward. There are lots of things that are still involved in recovery. But at six weeks, I pretty much let anyone start lifting what they want, doing whatever exercise they want that feels right. Mm-hmm. 
We also had a question on rhinoplasty recovery time. Yeah, so oh, rhino, yeah. I had a rhino. I don't know if you know that. I remember you oh, said that, that actually. Yeah. It's probably a good time to talk about this. So, <laughs> so when I, the, re, the reason, one of my, one of my pitches, I don't tell, tell this to patients often, mm-hmm. but in my mind, um, and I have this great video that we created a few years ago, I talk about this, you know, one of the great things about what I do is I get it, right? Mm-hmm. I've been there. I had a rhinoplasty. I didn't like the way my nose looked. I broke my nose a few times um, playing baseball growing up. It was not a cosmetic thing. I mean, it wasn't a breathing thing. It was purely cosmetic. Mm-hmm. I looked in the mirror and I saw my nose. And so I remember asking my mom, like, can I get a nose job? Like, is that reasonable? And she was like, absolutely, if that's something that, that affects you. And come to find that she had had one and, mm-hmm. and my sister had had one and I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so... For me, I am able to relate with patients on a level that I think a lot of other surgeons can't because I've sat where they've sat. I understand the internal struggle with body image about that. And after my surgery, looking in the mirror, I never saw my nose again. It didn't bother me. Now, I wasn't like severely depressed over it, but I looked in the mirror and I saw my nose. After surgery, I didn't see my nose. So that, that for me helps me a lot with patients and understanding why people want to do things. The recovery for a rhinoplasty, for me, I don't recall it being that bad. I mean, I was pretty sore um, for a week or so, but I was 24, right? When you're 24, like you're invincible, nothing hurts. And I just don't remember it being that bad. For patients, I think rhinoplasty, early recovery, six weeks of Mm -hmm. just sort of, man, it's sore, it's swollen. Nasal swelling will last for a year. So there can be surgical swelling in the nose that can last a year. Now, something that you may not see, Mm -hmm. but us as surgeons will tell a patient, hey, your tip is still kind of full. I know you're, you're complaining about that. Not that you're complaining, but you're mentioning that. It takes a year for that to go away. All of the big time swelling is usually gone by six weeks. Okay. I can tell you for me personally, for like three months, I was like, stay out of my zone, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you walk around with like this shield yeah, don't, around you. Yeah. Don't hit me in the face. Yeah. Get away. It hurts. Right? It hurts on its own, even if you have nothing done. It does. So it I takes like it takes like three months <laughs> oh. before you feel like okay, like I'm it's solid. I'm yeah. good. Like, oh. Maybe if you have a, a kid, and Emma's okay, in this yeah. like slapping phase, so oh, like she'll yeah. like slap your face or slap your arm. Oh, like if yeah. you have your nose done, she'll so get through the slapping phase before you get a nose. Yeah, that was what we're so saying. So wait here. till the baby's like eight. <laughs> yeah. So we had a ton of breast implant questions, which yes. that's what I'm interested in. So yes. let's get to those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's talking about this for years. Years. Yeah. Years and, and years. I actually stopped wanting one once I got pregnant because I was like, oh, I'm actually fine with my boobs. But then after I stopped breastfeeding, I was like, yeah. oh, God, no, I need to get this out. <laughs> so, you got a glimpse of what they could oh be Oh, my like. gosh. <laughs> so um, first question is silicone or saline? I'm sure you get that question all the time. Yeah, so silicone versus saline, it can be a very personal choice. Um, there are some reasons why I would recommend one over the other. Um, I think you can get a beautiful result with either implant. There are certain principles to either one. By the way, both silicone and saline implants have silicone. That needs to be okay. made clear. A lot of people kind of don't get that when they're like, I don't want silicone on my body. I'm like, well, guess what? A saline implant has a silicone shell. Interesting. Okay. So a silicone implant has a silicone shell. They're just filled with different things. The difference between the two is that a silicone implant will be a more soft, natural feeling implant. A saline implant's a bit more firm, like a water balloon would be a tight water balloon. Okay. And so in a mom who's had kids, 
who the breast tissue's kind of shrunk in, the skin's thinned out, you're probably gonna get a better result with something like a silicone implant because it's just gonna feel more soft and more natural. Whereas you could look great with a saline, it just might feel like a basketball on your chest. Versus maybe another woman who has a lot of breast tissue still Mm -hmm. and really good quality skin could probably have a great result with either one and it wouldn't matter. The pros and cons are when saline ruptures, it's just filled with salt water, your breast deflates, you go, okay, that's not right. (laughs) When a silicone implant implant ruptures, you may not know it for years because They, we have such highly cohesive gels now. Now, when I say rupture, I don't mean a blowout like yeah. there's silicone everywhere. I'm talking they're man-made devices. You can get a little pinhole or a little crack in the shell. That's mm-hmm. what happens. And the silicone now today is so cohesive and it sticks together that it doesn't just ooze out. Mm-hmm. Over years, slowly that implant or breast might start to change size mm-hmm. or look different, which would tell us that like, hey, let's get an MRI. The FDA recommends that if you have silicone, you get an MRI at three years after and then every two years to evaluate it. Nobody does it because hmm. insurance doesn't cover it. Right. But that's the recommendation. So that would be how you would evaluate silicone over time without going, oh my God, I've been sitting with a ruptured implant for 10 years. Interesting. Yeah. I'm curious about, we hear about breast implant illness yes does that have something to do with it like what is that situation yeah so this is this is a topic that i i touch on in the book i don't Mm -hmm. know if you caught that literally the night before the manuscript was due i was like i need to talk about this Mm -hmm. i know it's taboo right now and it's a really hot topic in the market and it's very controversial and i was like i think it's important to talk about it and i did um, an instagram story where i posted about this so here's my feeling Right now, we don't have a diagnosis for breast implant illness. Like, we, there's no test that I can mm-hmm, run. Mm-hmm. I can't say you have it, you have it, or even that you're prone to it. Yeah. But for those of you out there listening who don't know what we're talking about, there's something called breast implant illness. And there is a large group of women that are convinced that their implants are making them sick, mm-hmm. meaning thyroid problems, um, joint issues, malaise general feeling of just depression and gloom and doom and despite working themselves up medically nothing shows or points to anything and a lot of them will say that god you know it started to happen like right after or years after i had my implants maybe that's the problem Mm -hmm. now i have to tell you as a healthcare professional and as a doctor i would be a fool to tell them that it's not possible. Mm -hmm. So a lot of physicians, and this is why it's controversial, is a lot of plastic surgeons laugh laugh women out of the office and they're like, get out of here, your implants aren't making you sick, give me a break. I am totally the other way. I feel like, look, is it possible that this could be happening? Like, do you have an autoimmune disease that's making you more prone and for whatever reason, you have this chronic inflammatory response going on in your body and maybe you're feeling like crap and that that's it? That could certainly be possible. Mm -hmm. But what I can't tell patients is I have a test to test for that. I will not laugh a patient out of the Mm -hmm. office for coming in for that. In fact, yesterday I did two removals for patients who thought that they had breast implant illness. Wow, that's a lot. Um, and I've yeah. done I've done a lot lately. Um, and so I really truly believe there could be something to it, but here's what I tell my patients in consultation that I would tell you if you mm-hmm. came to me. There are 35 million women on the planet with implants. Wow. There's a Facebook group of I think 50 or 100,000 women who are really seriously really really angry mm-hmm. and feel like we're doing something wrong to patients see, yeah. because they're making sick people sick. I would tell you that you're, that most of the patients who have implants 
do just fine. Yeah. Yeah. There are a group of women who don't. Mm-hmm. So I think the odds are in your favor that you're going to do Let's fine. Anything. Unless yeah. you have a history. And let me tell you something. My wife has silicone implants, and I would never do something to my wife mm-hmm. that I thought was going to harm her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the women in that group are really passionate about that we are we're cruel and it's just about the money and that's all we care about. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. I really truly believe that there's something to it. And now that this has come to light and there was a big FDA hearing a few weeks mm-hmm. ago about this and the plastic surgery society was there and women were there and everyone had their stories told our society. I know is working with the FDA to say, Hey, look, is there something that we can do to mm-hmm. try and figure out, is this real or is this not real instead of just laughing at people about this? Mm-hmm. So that's where we are now on that. And so what I would tell your listeners is that it's a personal decision. Yep. Um, it's up to you just like anything else. We don't have a test where we can tell you that you should or shouldn't have it. I still do it for breast cancer reconstruction because I think it's great, greatly important. Mm-hmm. And I do it for women who, who feel that that's what they need as long as we're both on board with what the risks are. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I think it's a big confidence booster too though because I know people close in my life that have breast implants and before they got them, they hated the way they looked. Mm-hmm. Naked in a bikini. Like they felt like, like for better lack of words, that they said pancake boob, which mm-hmm. was really sad. Mm-hmm. And then they got them and it changed their life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have countless stories. This is why I love my job, okay? This is really what I love about my job is I love taking a patient who clearly is dejected about their body for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're wrong for that. We all no. look in the mirror and yeah. we're all yeah. good. I look in the mirror to check for abs every day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, is my, cross, too, is my CrossFit paying off? Is it like coming through? We all care how we look because that carries and spills over into everything that you do yeah. in life. How good of a mom you are, how good of a businesswoman you are, what you do in life. So. I really think that um, I have a lot of great stories of women that it's completely, when they come back after an augmentation, I can just tell by the way they carry themselves, Mm -hmm. they are different people, which is so cool to experience. I'm excited because I'm fine with everything else. I just want... Yeah, I'm excited for that. My thing is I'm super squeamish about needles, about being cut open the recovery. It honestly makes my stomach turn thinking about that. Like, What do you do with women that feel that way? Because I, I probably would never voluntarily walk into a plastic surgeon's office just well, because of that fear. That's a great. That's a great question. So how would I handle that? Um, what I say first of all for your listeners who are scary or scared, <laughs> who are scary, <laughs> please don't be scary. Um, who are scared? The the best thing you can do is walk into an office and have a conversation. No, yeah. no one's marrying you to a surgery. Yeah. No one's telling you that you have to do something. Hopefully you'll meet someone similar to me who really spends time with patients and I would sit with you and I would say, look, these are the the benefits that you would get from the procedure. Here are all the things that we can do when it comes to the needles and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. In the book, I walk you through exactly what the day is like of surgery. And to be honest with you, there's only one needle you ever have to worry about, and that's your IV. It's not that bad. And honestly, an Mm -hmm. IV is not that bad. After that, you don't see knives and needles and suturing and blood, all that stuff. It's like you don't see that. Yeah, you may have wounds and dressings and things that, that your spouse might or your significant other might have to help you with. But you're not going to see any of that stuff. You're going to be asleep when all that's going see, on. That's, yeah. that's what I would be most afraid of is being put under. For me, yeah. that's the scariest. I've never been put under. Me neither. Oh, I have. Uh, it's, it's not that bad. Yeah, three times for me. It's, um, <laughs> that's it's, true. I tell people it's, yeah. it's the best rest you'll have all week. <laughs> Especially yeah. for the moms, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's not that bad. Anesthesia is not that bad. But I feel you. You know, I mean, that's a big question I get a lot is um, people are fearful to go to sleep. And I tell people, look, the, the anesthesiologist gets paid to wake you up, not put you to sleep. But barring any weird, crazy 
congenital thing that we just wouldn't know of, it's safer than driving to the office. Mm. You have a better chance of dying in a car accident. I mean, anesthesia in a young, mm. healthy, or middle-aged or older. I've, I've done surgeries in 85-year-old women who are perfectly healthy, wow. did a breast reduction in one, because she had wanted it her whole life, and she was healthy, and I had no reason why to say no, and she did great. Mm. Now, if she had diabetes and hypertension and yeah, all these yeah. other things, I would have never operated on her. So anesthesia is, is pretty darn safe. Um, what about... Um, how long should you wait to get implants after breastfeeding? Get that one a lot. Great question. So probably, um, I usually tell patients, the reason that you want to let the milk all dry up and give time for swelling to go down is that affects how we size you mm-hmm. for what you want. So I like in my practice, and you'll probably get 10 different answers from 10 different plastic surgeons. Yeah. There's no rule. Two to three months is about what okay. I like. And, and then I'll assess you in the office and just see, like, do you feel like you're, you're still swollen? I'll mm-hmm. ask the patient, do you feel like you're still swollen and have milk in there? Mm-hmm. And as soon as that feels like it's calmed down, you're good to go. Okay. But that's the main issue. So Cassie's always wanted a breast reduction, right? Yes. So what are your questions? <laughs> we got questions about breast reductions, yeah. too. Um, well, one thing I, we kind of touched on it is breastfeeding after a breast reduction. Because mm-hmm. I've actually been in for two con- consultations okay. in my past for a breast reduction. And I've decided to wait because they said that it would affect um, milk supply and breastfeeding mm-hmm. and things like that, but also scarring. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big thing for a lot of people is like they don't want that huge scar. Mm-hmm. And my first person that I went to had said, it's going to be a huge scar. It's going to go around the nipple, mm-hmm. go down, and then around the boob. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then my, the next person I Made went to said- Made her want to have it, right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> um, then the next guy said it wouldn't be as bad, but what does the scarring look like for- Yeah. Good question. Breast reduction. So, um, first of all, probably the highest satisfaction rate of any procedure I do is a breast reduction. It is, without a doubt, women just are so happy. And most women are so dejected by their big, heavy breasts that they don't care about the scars. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. A lot of that population, I don't have to worry about it. But for the patients that are concerned about it... Look, I tell everyone in a consult, if you want a reduction, it takes scars to do it. If you're not okay with it, you don't get a reduction. That's the first thing. The second thing is, yeah, what your surgeon told you, and I love when a surgeon says, big scars, like, way to convince me that it's going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah, well, when I was 16 years old, too, and I was like, ah, I don't want to see that. So there is a scar that goes around the areola. There's a few different techniques. There's one called a short scar technique where we just have a vertical scar or the lollipop, so it's around the areola and then a vertical scar. And then when we add that extension into the crease, it's called an anchor anchor pattern. It looks Hmm. like an anchor. Most of mine are the anchor pattern incisions because women usually need to be tightened vertically this way Mm -hmm. and also take horizontal tissue out to lift them this way. And then we all have to make an incision around the areola, number one, which is a bonus for most women, to resize the areola, make it smaller, Mm -hmm. make them more symmetric. And then we have to slide them up into the new center part of the breast mount when we recreate the breast. so So we don't detach the nipple. We don't cut it off. We just cut around it so that it's free so that once we tighten up all that skin and you put it in a new position so the scars i will tell you the scar that's in the fold usually is hidden by the by by the breast and it's usually not a big deal the vertical scar is visible but it fades so well over the course of about a year now everyone genetically scars different so Mm -hmm. i can't predict but for most patients it fades and i would say the only one that you may notice for the rest of your life is around the areola there's a scar that goes around the areola and it's in your face and the only person that sees it is you and your kids or your significant other. Yeah. But honestly, it's really 
I don't find that that holds people back from having the surgery because they just want to be smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know there was a question there I saw about a lift versus yeah. a reduction, yeah. so we can get to that. And I'll yeah. tell you about that. That's going to be my next question, yeah. too. Do you have to have a lift with a reduction, or is that kind of similar? So like how it's very similar. So here's the difference, difference between a breast lift and a breast reduction. And by the way, a reduction might be covered by insurance. It depends. Mm. Yeah, a breast asked, lift yeah. is a cosmetic procedure. It's just cash pay. It's all there is to it. Okay. And if I don't think... You're, if I don't think there's enough tissue to remove in a reduction that I don't think insurance is going to cover it, I just tell people it's cash pay. They're going to deny it. I've been doing this long enough. I know how much I need to remove. I get it. And so then that could be a cash pay situation. It just I had asked you this, and we had a couple people ask about uh, fat transfer breasting. So I was interested yeah, in that, and you said it's yeah. kind of not even really a thing. Yeah, it's not. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not one. Just yeah. put my fat in. Yeah. yeah. Can we just trade? Can I take yeah. <laughs> Usually everyone's like, can I be a donor? Yeah. Um, so... It's um, fat transfer. I don't want to shun it because I use it. I, okay. I use it in breast cancer reconstruction. Okay. You can use it in small volumes in the breast for, for breast augmentation, but it is not the mainstay of therapy yet for large volume enhancement. Okay. And the reason for that is this. When we harvest fat and we inject it into the breast or anywhere else in the body, like the face for facelifts, we'll use it. You'll lose about 40% of that fat over time. So sometimes it's really hard to put enough volume in the breast mm-hmm. in one section to even enhance someone the way they want. The other problem is in someone who kind of has saggy, loose skin, it's nearly impossible to put enough fat to really tighten them up and lift them and give them what they want. It's better serving a really petite, tiny person who's got really tight skin quality, mm-hmm. who maybe doesn't want to be huge, but they're looking for a couple hundred cc's of enhancement and it might take two sessions. But the other problem is sometimes when, that, when you put that fat all in the breast, the fat cells can die and not mm-hmm. just go away, but cause like a hard feeling nodule mm. that's called fat necrosis. So there's the potential to get all these hard nodules in the breast. Mm-hmm. So I'll use it sometimes in an augmentation where I'll go, okay, this person's a little deficient in volume in one spot. I'll harvest a little fat and fill that in and they do great. It's small volume. Large volume is just not the mainstay, mm-hmm. but you'll find some surgeons in the country that do it and say, but it's really not the mainstay of breast enhancement today. Interesting. Do you do um, b- uh, butt Mm-hmm. You do? BBLs. Uh, we didn't, I feel like those are more popular I now. don't think we got any questions about that. that we I got saw. one. Did we? We about got one. Brazilian? She said she wanted to get it, um, but she was going to wait until after kids. Uh, do you I, don't, I don't think I've seen you like ever post about you it. You know, it's funny. I did, I did post. I've posted a couple, um, and I have two coming up. And they are popular right now. You know, hmm. it's the big thing. Like, Kim, remember, did y'all ever watch the Kardashian yes. show? Yeah. Do you remember when everyone was saying that she'd had her butt on? And yeah. she's like, no, look at the x-rays. Yeah. There's no implant because she had a BBL. <laughs> yeah, fat doesn't show See, up. See, I don't. I always had a big butt I and I hated it. I, like, I hated my butt. No, your butt's good. No. <laughs> give it to me. So I'll give you boob. See? Just trade. Yeah. I wish it worked that way. I was going to ask you, though, about the Kardashians and your professional opinion. Obviously, they've had a lot of surgery about their butts. Like, Kylie did not have that butt when she was 18. Oh yeah. Yeah, she might have. I mean, I don't know what they've had, but I know I know she had her nose done, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, she looks great. She oh, does. She looks amazing. She looks really I good. always she looks say, amazing. Yeah. She looks amazing. It's so crazy to see her from that show to the way she looks now. Yeah. She's like a woman, man. She's uh-huh. like she looks great. She looks uh, and her yeah. lips, I think her lips look good. Usually yeah, usually they do. like the um the real housewife, I can't think of their names. They're their lips are so bad. Oh yeah, they're so overdone. If I had to do a surgery, Kim, that would be my number one for me is lips. So, but, but sometimes it looks terrible. Not if you don't like needles. I know. That's true. <laughs> I'm Wait, kidding. Just so, yeah. But I had well, a baby. Come have, on. I have, had a baby. Do you do Botox or so just people I in do. your practice? I do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug my nurse injectables. Okay. <laughs> we got a lot of Botox questions. So my, my, I, I do do injectables. 
Um, recently in the past year, it's one of those things I'm trying to pass off because I'm so busy with yeah. surgery that I have a hard yeah. time doing it. If a patient has a special request, I'll do it. But I just hired, she's been with me about six months now, Skylar Soares at AZ Nurse Injector. She is my injector. Mm-hmm. She is That's on Instagram. She's unbelievable. She is so good at what she does. She is so passionate about everything mm-hmm. that she does. She cares about patients and she's unbelievable. And the cool thing that I love about her is she was an esthetician for seven years mm-hmm. before she went to nurse school and then became an injector so she's like the double threat she can yeah. do your skincare needs awesome. she also does injectables and she's amazing at lips and so if you're nervous about lips mm-hmm. number one we have a killer numbing cream that you won't feel and if you're really nervous I can do quick dental blocks on you that your lips mm-hmm. will be totally numb and you won't feel anything and she's great at saying okay this person's super nervous we're gonna do like a half a syringe mm-hmm. let's just see if she likes it We'll build them up over a couple mm-hmm. of sessions. You come back, tell me what you like, what you don't mm-hmm. like, until eventually you hit, okay, we used the whole two syringes on your lips total by the end of all that, so that when you come back for touch-up, she knows exactly what you need. And she's so creative and so good at what she does. And she awesome. does everything. She does Kybella, the fat dissolving. She does um, Botox, Dysport, all the neurotoxins, all the different types of injectables. She does facial skin care, all kinds of great stuff. I'm actually wow. getting Botox on Monday. Are you? <laughs> yes, really? I am. Yeah. I did not know this. Yeah. I, I, I Got to start say. young, baby. Where do you get it? Um, somewhere. It's in Gilbert. I forget the name of the place. Yeah. They got good reviews. Yeah. Um, but um, one of the questions on here is when do you recommend starting Botox? It's a personal thing. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's an age thing if you're too young. Um, and I say, you know, the idea behind the, the neurotoxins, mm-hmm. which is Botox, Dysport, Zeomen, there's a bunch, there's a new one coming out now. The idea behind them is that you form a wrinkle that's perpendicular to the muscle action. So the muscle on the forehead that runs up and down creates wrinkles across your forehead. And so what you're basically doing is you're weakening that muscle by putting the Botox in there. And I know there's questions about, is it poisonous? Mm-hmm. As far as we know, it's not. It's a, it's a toxin that's created by, bo- by botulism, and it basically it affects the transmission of, it's the science level neurotransmitters that go across the nerve that cause a contraction. It just weakens that response. And so when you weaken the muscle, mm-hmm. you weaken the wrinkle. The longer that you're making that wrinkle in your life, the more it becomes a permanent crease. Mm-hmm. So when you start earlier in life, you're just preventing, preventing that yeah. chronic, that I've chronic, that chin. And so, I mean, you know, people freak out because it's a lifelong thing and I got to do it forever. Well, yeah, it is. You also have to work out to stay in shape for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. So, yeah. So the difference between the two is the following. Both procedures lift the breast because it's the same incisions, it's the same taking out extra skin. The difference between a breast lift and a breast reduction is in a reduction we're actually also excising a lot of extra tissue in, in certain areas and then closing it and lifting the breast. In a breast lift, all we do is take skin out to tighten up the skin envelope. We're not reducing glandular breast tissue. We're trying to keep the same volume. We just suture and do techniques internally to tighten everything up and lift the breast. So you get a lift no matter which one you do. One makes the breast smaller. One makes it more more perky but keeps the same volume. What is the most popular like cosmetic change that you do for women is it boobs or is it something else it's breast and body yeah probably breasts what is a mommy makeover what's that all include yeah so a mommy makeover it's just it's you know after you have babies like it just all changes you yeah know? everything yeah. changes so it's really any constellation of procedures so you could combine lipo with a tummy tug 
a breast augmentation and lift with the tummy tuck, a breast log with lipo, any group of procedures mm-hmm. that you're doing to kind of correct some of the things that have happened with pregnancy, we just call it a mommy okay. makeover. That's all it is. So there's no real mommy makeover. It's just a bunch of things mm-hmm. you're doing to feel better. Okay. There's one thing we didn't cover that I want to talk yes. about oh, yeah. that I think is really, really important. There's two things, actually. Let's yeah. get to it, yeah. The first one is the, the issue about board certification. I think this is a message that needs to be delivered. It's in my book. I talk about it in the beginning. Um, and people don't really understand what it means to go to a board-certified plastic surgeon. So I want to shed a little light on that. Okay. So there is a, there's a board called the American Board of Medical Specialties. And the American Board of Medical Specialties governs cardiology, internal medicine, all the sub-boards that certify doctors to do their specialty are governed by the American Board of Medical Specialties. Okay. So the American Board of Plastic Surgery is the sub-governing entity that board certifies plastic surgeons. It is really important for your public and your population to understand that a cosmetic surgeon and a plastic surgeon are totally different. Interesting. Plastic and reconstructive surgeons are all cosmetic surgeons, but they're also plastic and reconstructive surgeons because we are certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery, which is governed by the American Board of Medical Specialties. They only recognize the American Board of Plastic Surgery is the only entity in this United States of America that can certify plastic surgeons. So... When you go to a surgeon, they say, oh, yeah, I'm a cosmetic surgeon. You go, oh, really? Cool. Where'd you train? Oh, the American Board of Cosmetic Surgery. Great. Awesome. I'm going to come see you. It's not that easy. You have to dig a little deeper because if you said, who are you board certified by? They would have to tell you, oh, the Board of Otolaryngology. They're not certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. So any doctor out there who's been certified in some other specialty, can then go to this American Board of Cosmetic Surgery and do what they call a fellowship and mm. call themselves a cosmetic surgeon. So they that's when you not. see the horror stories probably so when you are see from the those horror stories. So you have to do your homework. It is super important that people get this point. Yes. That you only, the only people you go to see, the question that you want to mm-hmm. ask them, are you board certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery? Mm-hmm. If they don't say that... They are not Run. a board-certified plastic That's surgeon. That's really good to know. Yeah, Because there are dentists that do breast dogs in town. What? There are There are oral surgeons doing facelifts and tummy tucks. There's a general surgeon. I mean, there's it's out there. And I'm telling you, and I'm not saying these people can't be good surgeons, but they're not certified. They haven't sat in front of the board and gone mm-hmm. through the scrutiny that we've gone yeah. through to get the, no, yeah. the credentials that we have. So I thought that was an important point to make. Yeah. yeah. The other one that I'll leave you guys with is that post-surgery depression for moms is super, oh, super important. Interesting. It's another thing that I Everything talk about, about in my book, this book, The Real Beauty Bible. That we're yes, yes, about. yes. And we'll tag so it. We'll tag it. But <laughs> we, um, so when you decide to do something for yourself finally, um, and I talk about this more and more in my consults because I see it all the time. When you decide to do something, you're amped, right? Like you want to, you've had your kids, man. You've earned this. You're ready to feel better in your mm-hmm. skin. You want to do what you want to do. You decide, you go have your consult, you have your surgery, and then, oh crap, mm-hmm. I can't take care of the kids, I can't mm-hmm. do the laundry and stuff that I may usually do or other yeah. things around the house. You start to feel worthless and you start to feel like, why did I do this for myself? Almost like buyer's remorse. What's wrong yeah. with me? Total buyer's remorse. And so I just want people to understand that that does happen, mm-hmm. but you can prepare for that. And by preparing for that, maybe freezing lunches that you can thaw out or smart. setting up the people that yeah. you need after surgery to help you so, that, so that you can actually enjoy what you did, know that it's okay to do it for yourself, mm-hmm. 
but I just want to call attention to the post-surgery blues, I call it, is a real thing and it happens. And so it's not depression. I just want people to realize that it does end and it usually ends around four to six weeks when you're able to start doing more. Mm -hmm. But that, that really is something that happens. So your book, <laughs> where can everyone find it and who is this for? If it's people that okay, want to get so, plastic surgery. You know, yeah, ironically, The Real Beauty Bible, Navigating Your Journey Through Plastic Surgery is the book that I wrote. Mm -hmm. It just dropped in May. They can get it on Amazon.com, Target.com, Barnes & Noble, Walmart. It's on like 39,000 different websites. Wow. wow. It's, all over. it's in brick and mortar places. So you can get it there. I have, it's got its own website, www.drrichardjbrown.com. And you can buy it on there. This book is for everything we just discussed yeah. in this podcast. Mm -hmm. you, and more. And more. You want a breast dog, you can pick this book up and you should be able to read about post-surgery blues Everything we just talked about is pretty much in this book, mm -hmm. and that's who this book is for, and it's the reason I wrote it was I got sick of people choosing a cosmetic surgeon and getting botched and not understanding the differences. Mm -hmm. I wanted someone to pick this up and just go, okay, I have guidance as to where I need to go mm -hmm. now and how I need to do this. Right. So that's who it's for. Awesome. So if you guys want to find it, go on all the places he told you to, and you can also follow... Dr. Brown, where yes. can they follow you at? So you can follow me on Instagram. It's at DR, which stands for doctor. DR Richard J. Brown is my Instagram. It's also my Twitter, and it's also, I have a Facebook page. So okay. That's too, but Sweet. yeah, the more Instagram followers I could get, the better you guys, because we get shadow, <laughs> we get shadow yeah. banned, and they're really, they hold our content from people, and for me, you've seen my Instagram. Yeah. I, I try to be authentic and educated, mm -hmm. yeah. and so yeah. I'm trying to get as many followers as I can, because what we didn't talk about today, what we'll do another time, is the wellness center concept that I'm developing in my practice. Practice now, so awesome. I want to develop a wellness center. So I want people to see all that information that yeah. I put out there. Yeah. Can you also tell everyone where you're located for the people? Yep. Here? So my main office is just uh, the main crossroads are Scottsdale and Shea. It's just north of of um, Shea, and then I come out to Sun City, 99th and Thunderbird. I sublease an internal medicine doctor's practice mm -hmm. on Thursdays, and I see cosmetic and reconstructive consultations out awesome. here in Sun City. Very nice. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining yeah, us today. Yeah, this is fun. I yeah. love it. Yeah. We'll have to have you keep talking. We can I talk. Right? I have so many questions. I'm like, no. We can talk forever. I can talk forever. I, I just, I love to educate about what I do. So. Well, if anybody has any other questions, either reach out to us or you yeah. specifically on yep. Instagram. Yep, if you DM, I'll answer. Awesome. All right, thank you. You're welcome. Thank All right. you. Okay.